The topic for this morning's message is, is a message that it's similar to the message that I preached, I don't know, actually almost four years ago now. Um, I was looking at my notes, fear is a, is a liar. I, I brought that up and that was, I couldn't believe it. I went back and looked at my notes, you know, and I was like, man, that was, I think it was 2019 that I brought that message, uh, which would put it almost four years from right now. <laughs> it's just a long time. This is much different, but in the same vein, I'll say. And one of the things that I was thinking about when I was sitting them down and writing these things out is, as you all know, our fear is, is something that we have to deal with every day in our life. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a part of living. As long as you're living, you're going to be dealing with fear. And, you know, what does the Bible say about fear? What is, you know, what is there? I mean, there's godly fear and then there's fear and then there's a fleshly fear and, as most of you are all very well aware, there, when, after my wife's first was diagnosed with, with cancer, we lived in a state of fear every night. Especially before you, you meet the oncologist. You know, we, she was diagnosed December 23rd, and she had her first round of chemotherapy on 19th of January? 17th, 17th of January. Well, that was, it's a little less than a month. But imagine laying your head down every night, wondering if there's a disease inside your wife that's eating her and taking her life slowly or fast. That fear, that level of fear, and to be stalked by death is no joke. That level of fear can consume you. We all, we both lost 20 pounds in two weeks. I wasn't on a specific diet. Neither was she. Well, we did cut sugar out. Fear and its result of unchecking that fear is what caused and drove us to that point, drove the family. If fear is not checked at the door and not put in its rightful place, because fear is an emotion, it can consume you. It can petrify you. It can cause you to stop dead in your tracks and not move an inch. You can relive the scenarios over and over again in your mind, fearful that death will come, fearful that this thing will come, whatever it is. And I only share that experience with you, and I haven't done it very much, but and it may be to my own fault that I do those things. I am not a robot. We are not robots. Just because we can weather this storm as we are does not make it easy. Just because you don't hear my wife complain and just because you don't hear me complain does not make it easy. I want you all to understand that. Some of you have thought about it probably, I'm sure. But this isn't about her. This isn't about it's about the fear that goes along with that. 
The testimony that we have as a family is absolutely tantamount and important to me, not for the magnification of my wife, not for the magnification of my ministry, but for the magnification of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he's in charge. And he is the one when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, he is the one that walks with you and carries you with through that. But you can only relate to the valley of the shadow of death once you have gone down that road. Until you go down that road, it is all theory. All theory. And it ain't easy. <laughs> Fleshly fear is the antithesis of faith. The simple definition of antithesis is a person or a thing that is in direct opposite of someone or something else. An opposition, direct opposition. However, we must also remember that fear is an emotion. And faith is not. Pause just one moment. Fear is an emotion. Faith is not. Amen. There's a difference. So is it fear that separates us from faith? James, in the book of James, he tells us that we demonstrate our faith with our actions. Does he not teach us that? It's the book that where the rubber meets the road. In Proverbs, the scripture it, it, it says in, in chapter one and verse seven, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Oh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So there's a there's a certain element of a godly or a healthy fear, is there not? As the title indicates that fear is a liar, specifically unchecked, ungodly and fleshly fear is a liar. Baseless, unbiblical fear can cause anxiety and doubt. I'm going I'm to read that again. Baseless, unbiblical fear can cause anxiety and doubt and cause well-intentioned Christians to make spiritually void and purely fleshly decisions based upon an emotion of fear. Thereby placing us in opposition to God's plan, purpose, and direction for us. Our response to fear and what we allow fear to do to us is determined in the actions that we take or don't take. The correct response for a, a correct biblical response to fear should be prayer. Prayer is a physical act, is it not? Prayer goes along with show me your faith with your works, as James talks about. What do you mean my works? Your works, your deeds, the things that you do. 
The scripture teaches us that we can cast our anxiety and cast our cares on him. How do you do that? It's not through osmosis. It's not done because you simply want it to be done. It's done through prayer, folks. It is done through our communication with God. We can ask for prayer collectively, and I do think that there is great power in a collective prayer. Great power. However, as any well-intentioned Christian must understand that you cannot solely, I'm going to say this really clearly, you cannot solely depend on congregational prayer to satisfy your prayer life. Does that make sense? You cannot solely rely on congregational prayer to satisfy your prayer life. It requires all of us. Our prayer life is our prayer life. That is direct communication between you and God. As I mentioned before, the proverb says that that fear is the beginning of knowledge. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. For frame of reference, that's just after the book of Proverbs. Okay. Verses 13 and 14 says the conclusion. When all has been heard. Is fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. For God will bring about or bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether good or evil. The Ecclesiastes. He just boils it down. I like how he just simplifies things. Look at the end of all this. And Ecclesiastes is a great book that you go, things are in vain. And we spend all this time and it bit this and that. And you go, we got all these things that go on in our life and we're all going to do those things. But at the end of the day, he boils it down. When all has been heard is to fear God and keep his commandments. That's a biblical fear. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We live in a world today where Christians whitewash who God is. Churches do. They don't like talking about the judgment of God. They don't like talking about that he's a just God. They only want to hear the good things. Well, are there, and there are plenty of good things in the scripture. There are plenty of blessings in the scripture. But make no mistake about it. He's a jealous God and he demands your attention. He demands your devotion. All of ours. For the simple fact, when you put it in the frame of reference is what? He kills, he can kill both body and soul. Whoa. See, Satan can only tempt your flesh. He can only, as we know the scripture through Job, as we've seen through Job, he can only just, just touch the flesh. He can, he, can, he, can, he can attack it, but he's limited in what he can do. God is not limited in what he can do. 
We are his creation. Mankind is his creation. The 23rd Psalm Verse 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It says, I will fear no evil. As we begin to make a transition from the subject, you look at it from that first point that I pointed out. That You look at it, it says, understand what biblical... Fear is you fear God And this scripture here says, I will fear no evil. There's a transition that takes place. When we have biblical fear, when we fear God, we don't fear evil. Ooh, why? Because our fear is in the right place. But boy, howdy, how hard is it? In our lives, as it's displayed and as we experience things in life, right? How hard is it for us to not fear fleshly things? What are they going to say to me? They don't like me. This and that. Oh my gosh, my boss hates me. This and that. You know, the teachers hate me. This and that, you know, all these fears and all these things that come up in our minds, right? And, and man, before long, we believe it. Before long, we're having conversations with people that we feel that we fear or that they fear us. And next thing you know, I know what their response is going to be. I learned a long time ago. I learned a valuable lesson as a teenager. The oldest trick in the book for a disobedient teen is to tell their parents that the teacher hates them. There's... 40, I don't know how many, what's the, what, I don't know, there are 30 or 40 kids in a class right now, right? Per, per class, depends on where you're at. Well, it's really rough if you're a homeschool kid. <laughs> but, but in public school, I say that to my, just kidding with my wife. Um, you know, you think about it, it's like there's too many of them for a teacher to single out and hate. Does it happen every once in a while? Sure. Every once in a while. But is it realistic to say that teacher hates you? Wow, they got it out for me. Oh, you show up late to class all the time. You don't do your homework. You know what I mean? We start going over all the things and they hate you. You'd be surprised maybe if you showed up. Maybe they'd like you, right? But we, we say those kind of things. Well, my boss has got it out for me. We got this fear that runs inside of us. Boss got it out for you. Are you late all the time? Do you back talk your boss? 
Do you do the things that you're, you're, you start thinking about? Oh, wait, hold on a second. Maybe if I cut those things out, I wouldn't have that fear anymore. It happens to us. Then we have challenges in our life that present themselves. Physical challenges, fleshly challenges, our health, things like that. Our struggles, financial challenges, things like that. They all present themselves in a way that is a reality for all of us. We're all going to, I highlighted our struggle in my family, so it's a big struggle. But not all of our struggles are that big. And not all of our struggles are the same. But that doesn't make them any less qualified to be a struggle. Does that make sense? That's not to diminish or to, 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 to you know, make the, your struggles any less than ours. That's not the intent, nor the design. Rather, it's the thing you can look at and go, look, there are some big ones out there. Hopefully it helps put things in perspective. In 1 John chapter 4, the second point, good scripture, I think that most of us are probably, when I read it, you'll be like, oh yeah, that's familiar with that. In verses 15 through 18, some really important things that are discussed in the scripture. It says that, it says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know that we have and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in the world, in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. But the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. That's a very important scripture. And this is the commandment that we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Interesting dynamics about love, but it says there in verses 15 through 18, it says that in primarily verse 18, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Christians, we don't need to run around that God is going to open. And we joke about it sometimes when we say something off cuff or something like that. We, think, we say that, you know, God's going to open the ceiling up and strike us dead, right? We say things like that. You know, that's not how it works. It's just like anything else in, in life. Look, I fear my father still to this day, but there isn't a piece of me inside of me that doesn't know that my dad loves me. Now, I don't back talk my dad. Still don't to this day. Because I love him. And I feared him. Still do. It's very much the same way. You know, God has placed the family structure down here on earth to glorify his name. You all understand that, right? There's a husband, there's a wife, and there's children. The Trinity. Why? Well, mankind is his creation. The design of the family is 
his design. The very fact that we're designed that way is to bring glory and honor to him. When our relationship is right with the Lord, we don't fear his righteous judgment. Why? Because we try. We put the effort in. God rewards the effort. God doesn't turn around and go, ha, tricked you. I got you. You don't need to run around this place worrying about whether or not God's going to destroy you. That's not a place that a Christian needs to be at. Now, if you're dealing with sin in your life and you're and you haven't dealt with that sin properly, there's cause for fear. Why? Because, you know, if you know enough about the scripture, if you're not dealing properly with the sin that is in your life, it's going to come up in some way, shape or form. And God's going to get your attention somehow, some way. And it's generally not a very pleasant experience. So it's better for us to deal with it. When you deal with it, then you can reside in that place that perfect love casts out fear. God doesn't turn his back on people who are trying. You've got to understand the context of the scripture and all the things. There isn't a perfect person in this Bible except for Jesus Christ himself. Name a king, name a, name a leader, name an apostle, name a disciple. Name one of them without sin, without blatant sin that you can't read in the scripture. You look at him and go, you know what? They, they did pretty good, but they messed up here and they messed up here because they're just like you and me. He never turned his back on them. The third point is that self-doubt can be an absolute faith killer. Self-doubt. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, that is the calling of Moses, right, in the burning bush for you know, contextual reasons. We'll cover that. So you can go back and read the whole chapter yourself. You can read this and go, look, this is where God spoke to Moses from the burning bush. And the bush was not consumed. And so he said, well, i got to turn aside and check this out. This is amazing. In verse 10, he says, therefore, come now, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people the sons of Israel out of Egypt. Now, this is God talking to, to Moses. He says, look, I, I need you to go do this. I'm, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. You know, that guy that basically ran you out of the kingdom because you killed an Egyptian and everybody knew it. Yeah, Moses was a fugitive and a killer. I need you to go back and deliver my people. You talk about a big ask. <laughs> Hey, what? What do you want me to do? Not only would that be in a tremendous amount and a big ask, right, for him to do that, but on top of that, he was wanted. He was a fugitive. Man, they wanted his hide. They wanted him dead. Pharaoh wanted him dead. And God says, I need you to go back over there. Oh, boy. He said in verse 12, 
I'm sorry, verse 11, he says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Listen, if there was a guy that could sit back and go, I am not qualified to go there. One, I'm not qualified. Two, I don't think that's a really good idea. That's not what he's saying here, but you can read between the lines and you can look at it and put it in your own words. You think, hey, this guy's got a reason to doubt himself. Does he not? I can sympathize with him. I can sympathize 100% and go, yeah, I, I don't know. Then Moses said to God, behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now, may, and now they may say to me, what is his name and what shall I say to them? What are they going to say when I show up? Sound familiar? Does that sound like, I don't know, a normal kind of self-talk situation that we could find ourselves in when we're about to embark on something that, that we're supposed to do? Hey, listen, there's sometimes when you come through those doors, I've talked with people over the years, and they go, man, I, you know, people will say, if I walk through those doors, the church building's about, it'll, it'll go up in flames. And they kind of kid about those kinds of things, and you say, well, no, it's, it's really not. It's a room full of sinners, I, trust me. We're, but we're saved by grace, and we serve God, and we, we do the best that we can. But there's an element of all of that that people, they feel as though they, they first have to get their lives together in order to come to church and serve God. That is not the right way. That's not how any of us in here did it. You give your life to the Lord and he starts to put your life together for you. It ain't you. It ain't me. He starts to do it. You start allowing God into your life. You start asking him into your life. You start empowering him to, to infect your life and your home. And all those things begin to change his way. We don't reside in this state. Well, let me get my stuff figured out and then I'll show up. No. Exact opposite. Start showing up. And let God work those things out. But we have those kinds of thoughts, those kinds of things. And in Exodus chapter four, you keep reading. He goes on and tells them in, in verse verses 10 through 13 there. Then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in in, in time past, nor since I've spoken to your servant, for I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, who made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go and I, even I, will be with your mouth and will teach you what you're to say. He tells him also in verse 13, but he said, please, Lord, now send, this, send the message by whomever you will. In other words, I'm not qualified. I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. I'm not the guy. I... I've already messed this up. Listen, it's God doing the calling here. God's saying, no, no, you're the guy. We have all these kinds of conversations within ourselves. It's fear. Unchecked, unbiblical fear. It's natural for us to think that way. It's natural. It's our fleshly nature. 
It, it, it is something that we have inside of all of us that you walk through those doors and you feel as though you're wearing your sin on your sleeve that everybody will know what you did last week or the week before or how unqualified you are to be here. That's unbiblical fear. That's Satan working his avenue. His objective is to make you feel as though you don't belong exactly where God needs you to be. Satan wants us in a state of fear. Because when we, are, when we reside in a state of fear, he can push us around in every which way possible. But when we check that fear and go, that's not biblical. I serve a God that has told me he walks through with me. He is there with me. He holds my hand. Yeah, I, I, I can lay my burdens on, upon him. He takes care of me. No, no, no. Hold on a second. That's the God in whom I serve. I know who my Lord and Savior is. And this is not where I'm supposed to be. That's not where you're supposed to be. He gave him Aaron, his brother, as his mouthpiece. He says, go. You know, we all know as it goes on, you can read these things. And I like the fourth point that we're going we're gonna to talk about is you can see this struggle with fear that, that Moses had. You can see this struggle with self-doubt. It's an absolute faith killer. The fourth point is don't give in to fear. Well, how do you do that? Well, that's tough sometimes. And it depends on the struggles that you're faced with. It depends on the struggles that I'm faced with. There are times in our life where we fear simply, you know, it's like I, when we went to Billy's house, I don't know, several years ago across the street. I'm cautious with dogs because I don't, I don't trust other people's dogs. I just don't, right? And, well, I went over there with Brother Chuck. He walks through the gate and he's like a dog whisperer. I'm st you didn't even recognize, I'm standing back here like, I don't know, I, I don't know if I should go back. Chuck walked right in there and started petting the dogs. And you know, I'm like, man, this guy, he didn't have no fear of them dogs. So then I walked in right behind him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, thought if they didn't bite him, you know, they're probably not going to bite me, you know. But I had a healthy fear of dogs. I've been chased by dogs and, and I've never been bit by one, but I've been chased by them several times. Both... Uh, physically chased by him and I had a dream where I was being chased by a dog too but anyways that's another subject for another day but I have a healthy fear of those things Chuck he walked right in there I thought wow and the dogs loved him to death you know that's a real fear it's immediate there's other things I've been fearful of in my life but in Exodus chapter 14, you skip ahead, same guy, this Moses. But you fast forward, and what has he got in tow? He's got the nation of Israel in tow now, doesn't he? They're behind him. He's got the whole nation behind him. They're making their journey from Egypt, well, to the wilderness ultimately, <laughs> right? They're making their journey. In verse 11, 
Well, verse 10, it says, as Pharaoh drew near, now the, as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then they said to him, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he accomplished for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the, of the sea on dry land. Now, this Moses that is boldly proclaiming to Israel. I love this because here you go in chapter three and chapter four. He is unqualified. He doesn't want to do it. Send somebody else. He stands at the face of a sea and says, go forward. Stand by and see the deliverance of God. So you have a man that felt that he was unqualified to do this. A man that he's he, he slow of speech, slow of tongue. That same man is saying, let's do this. Let's go. That is inside every single one of us. That is a blueprint given to us by the scripture that says, listen, you will tell yourself that you're not qualified. We will tell ourselves. We will have fear that wells up inside of us that we don't know where this is going to go. We don't know where this is going to lead. We don't, we don't have the answer. But if you reside in God's will, if you reside in the path that he has picked for you, you go forward. You stand back and you see the deliverance of God. You watch barriers break down. You watch emails get sent and things get done. And, you know, things that are just how does this even happen to test results and this and that you see all these different things. Well, how is this happening? Because you reside in the will of God. Because he says, go forward. It's not easy sometimes. Matter of fact, <laughs> it could be downright life changing sometimes. Depends on what your struggle is. Depends on the thing that's causing you the fear. It absolutely can be. But if you give God a chance... Miracles happen. And it's really amazing. You can have an absolute turnaround where you go from that timid person, that person that's unqualified, incapable, slow of speech, slow of tongue. Man, it sure didn't sound like he was slow of tongue. Well, he kept it simple. Go forward. In 2 Timothy, in 
chapter 1. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or me, his prisoner, but join with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with his holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus for all eternity. You see, there's a couple key things that go on there. He talks about he doesn't give us a, a spirit of timidity, right? The caveat to that is that you've got to reside with Christ. You see, when we reside with Christ in his will, when we put him as the center focus of our life, guess what happens? There's no mountain, no valley, no hill too, too tall. There's nothing that we can't encounter. And there will be those things. What is removed from us is not the fact that the difficulties and the challenge, challenges come. It's just that we know that all of those things, that no matter what life throws at us, are not bigger than our God. They're not bigger than... In the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow at his name. Nothing that we encounter, no struggle, no challenge, no, no thing that we that we embark on is bigger than our Lord and Savior. There's great satisfaction. There is comfort knowing those things. We just need to be reminded of it. Why? Because we could be a lot like Israel or we're right in the middle of deliverance. We're right in the middle. We're on the road and go, did you bring us out here to die? Were there no graves in Egypt? And they're fixing to watch the Red Sea get parted and walk through it on dry land. We're quick like that, aren't we, sometimes? We get zeroed in on the challenge or the thing that is, that is the obstacle that is, that is causing us a problem. And we get so focused on it that we can't see how far and how much God has already done for us. We must understand that fear is a normal emotion. Sometimes preachers do a pretty good job. Of it. Just, just don't be afraid. Okay. Maybe that's a young guy saying that. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I haven't experienced enough, right? Fear is normal. The scripture teaches us how to deal with it, how to put fear in its proper place and how to control that emotion. We have a biblical response, but fleshly fear will rob us of joy, peace, protection, and direction. Fleshly fear will rob us of joy, peace, protection, and direction. It robs us of the direction that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, puts us on. He has a prescribed path for all of us to take. Every one of us. But as we read in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, it's according to his purpose, not ours. 
you, we do not dictate the rules of engagement between us and God. I've heard people say, me and God have an arrangement. That's not how that works. Do you understand the arrogance that is associated with the fact that you think that you can negotiate with God? That's not how that works. And when you understand who God is, you begin to realize, oh, I shouldn't have said that. All right, that's not the right way to look at it. No, it's not. Can we say it? Sure, we can. We shouldn't be surprised when it happens, but should lean on the Lord for guidance and direction. You know, as the pianist and, uh, comes forward and we prepare our, our minds and hearts as we go into this week, I think that there's, it's probably safe to say that all of us have challenges that we struggle with. Some of the challenges pop up for a moment in time, and they're really fast, they're really abrupt, they're acute, right? They're acute, very, very quick, boom, and we have to deal with those things, those, those moments of fear. Then there's others that we deal with, the problems and the challenges that we deal with. They stick around for a while. And sometimes we, work, we have to work through them over time. We have to continually give it to God every day. And we struggle with that fear every day. But the point is, and the emphasis for us today, is that the Bible teaches us where to place our fear. Put it in its rightful place. Put it in the Lord's hands. As we sing.